Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to The Payoff. I'm Chris Duffy. And I'm Antonia Cerejido. This show is your audio companion to all of Mike's money and personal finance coverage on the web at mike.com slash payoff. This week, our show is all about housing. You know, the place where you hang your hat. I'm so ready for us to tackle this topic because I've always felt like it's crazy overwhelming and I'm about to move. For sure. From finding your first apartment to wondering if you can or even should buy a house, figuring out the right place to live is just kind of terrible, actually. Good thing for us, we've got two amazing experts to help us figure it out. For our first segment, we're going to talk to a statistician slash psychologist about the seemingly age-old question of renting versus buying. I definitely need help there. And then later on in our episode, we have a conversation with a senior economist at one of the biggest housing websites in the world, Zillow. And for our last segment, we're going to answer your housing questions. And spoiler alert, they're all about how to make your housing cheaper. So stick around for that. Okay, here we go with our opening segment where we get over worries and confusion about something in the world of money. Yep, it's the kind of financial stuff that usually makes you cringe or cry or scream. I know every time I've had to look for a new place to live, my first reaction has been to think, oh no! Chris, we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, I know. I made a bad decision there, which is what a lot of people do when it comes to deciding where they have to live. (laughs) So today we're going to talk by phone to John Gonzaga, a psychologist and statistician. He offers us a unique perspective on how people make big life decisions, especially around housing. John is also the chief statistician for Earnest, which is an online lending company that offers personal loans and student loan refinancing. So he's familiar with the financial situations of a lot of young Americans. John Gonzaga, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, You're welcome. I'm glad to be a part today. So let's start with the big question first. When is the right time for young people to stop renting and think about buying a home? Or is this a trick question? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because it's not necessarily clear that it always is the right decision. One of the things that we get caught in is this mythology of owning a house and being there at the right time. And if you want to consider that purchase, you really have to think about what is the most important to you in your lifetime at that moment. So in psychology, we have this concept of fit between the situation 
um, and your personality. And, and one of the theories that's widely uh, believed is this idea of the big five personality traits, extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, openness to experience, and emotional stability. And depending on what your personality is, that may define when you are ready to jump from renting into buying. So if you are an extroverted person that likes going out, likes having a broad social life, and your budget isn't big enough to buy in a place that affords you that, that gives you that context, like being inside of a city and you have to move way out, then maybe it's not the right time for you to buy. Maybe you need to think about, I'm going to rent for longer until I find the situation that fits me the best. And mostly, I think people have this idea that a home is fantastic, but it's really the lifestyle you're looking for, not the home. So try to buy into the lifestyle and make your financial choices because that's going to make you a lot happier than having a home. So you've written a lot about the psychology of renting and buying. Why do you think these parts of life are so complicated, especially for Americans? Yeah, I think they're complicated a lot because um, the, the, there is a huge amount of emotional investment that goes into buying a home that can make us think in ways that really don't get at what is underlying, what is really important to us, and then can also kind of get in the way of making the best possible decision that we can have. So for example, people tend to always compare up in uh, what it is that they can buy. So if they're looking for a home, um, they'll find something with the features that they, they want, and then they'll immediately see another home that's a little bit better at that. And that can get you into trouble because there's these little tiny steps of like, oh, could it just be, we could just afford $10,000 more or $20,000 more. And then all of a sudden people are buying out of their budget uh, by a significant amount. Another really critical one um, is what is known as the tyranny of choice. The fact that we have so many possible selections and we like, we like having a lot of choice in our lives. We want more choice, but our brains are really bad at it. And beyond just three or four or five choices, we really struggle to make the best choice possible. And a lot of it is because, there, you know, if you think about buying a home, there's tons and tons of different features in a home. It could be square foot, it could be bedrooms and bathrooms and locations and school districts. And weighing those against each other gets really hard when you have a lot of choices. So one of the things we struggle with in buying homes is our minds aren't really designed, haven't evolved to help us think of this really complicated decision. Um, and one of the things that I, you know, I think a lot of people have discovered is the best way to do it is to narrow down to what is most critical in your life. What are the things that you care about most? Is it your lifestyle? You know, is it that you're going to have kids and you want to have a school district? Is it that you're, you know, you're looking for a certain feel and, and focus on those things because ultimately, you know, a home is a conduit to doing the things that you want to do in your lifetime rather than this big emotional decision because the bathrooms are so pretty. So you're a psychologist, but also statistician. Mm -hmm. What can data teach us about human behaviors when it comes to finding a place to live? Yeah. So I think one of the things that that uh, a lot of, uh, you know, stat statistics and machine learning and all of these things can do, they can help you narrow down the number of choices that you have. So I think what a lot of businesses have done and a lot of what we're doing at Earnest is figuring out how we can have people make better choices by figuring out what's most important to them and then using that to help narrow down the number of choices you have out there. So even simple things like 
let's rank out what is the most important things. And then a, there, there are lots and lots of websites out there that will sort um, intelligently by those things that you like. And they will go and look for the other uh, attributes you might like in a house um, and they'll, they'll show them up to you. So it helps you understand, you know, in some ways, I think a lot of the, uh, the housing uh, websites at this point are a lot like online dating where they're helping you narrow down your choices in a way by selecting out those things that are most important and then statistically applying what are the best choices that you can have. So homeownership in America right now is at like a five decade low. Yes. Does, does that seem like a bad thing to you or is that a good thing? I think homeownership can be a great thing and not being a homeowner can be a great thing too. And I think, you know, one of the things that came out of the housing crisis was this new realization that you don't necessarily need to live. The American dream isn't just about owning a home. Um, it can be realized in a lot of different ways. And, you know, not, own, not owning a home, you know, homes are big investments for people. And if you don't do well in that investment, it can be a significant strain on the family and your finances and your future. So there are definitely worlds where not buying a home and renting is better. Now, that opens up renting, uh, opens up whole new uh, you know, positives and whole new warning things, things you need to be careful of. So, for example, if you have a home and you're thinking strictly about your finances, you're always investing more in your home. So it becomes an asset that you're, you're gaining equity in over time. When you're renting, you have the freedom to take that money that you would have put into your home and use it for other things. So if you invest it wisely, you can probably find an investment that's going to do better than your home. But people tend to be psychologically very present biased. We tend to discount the future. And we tend to think about what it is that we want in the moment and not think about three years and five years and 10 years down the road. So if all of a sudden you have this money that you're not investing in your home and you're renting, maybe instead of investing that extra money wisely, you take the extra trip or you go out to dinner more often. And then all of a sudden you, you find that that extra money that could have helped secure your future um, has been kind of like frittered away in smaller things that just aren't as satisfying or, or wouldn't have been as a valuable an investment for you. Does that mean I shouldn't ever put money into my rented apartment? You know, if you know, I want to paint the walls or, you know. No, not at all. Remember, I think one of the critical things about where you live is it's a conduit to having the lifestyle that you want that is most satisfying for you. So, you know, things like painting your apartment, um, or things like making small changes in the places that you're renting, if that's going to help you feel better about your life, if that's going to make you more satisfied and better off, then sure, go ahead and do that. Um, I think you should balance exactly how much investment you're putting in because it's not your place. You know, I'm not sure if you rented out a house, you should be putting on an addition or ripping out a bathroom, but painting walls, A, can make the immediate experience of living there much better, and B, is a relatively minor investment. Um, so I think if, you, if that's going to make you happier, then all, all the means, go for it. So almost everyone that I know dreads having to find a new place to live, especially in big, dense American cities. Yes. Why is the process of finding where you live so awful? And where does that feeling of dread that we all feel come from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the big cities like San Francisco and New York, part of it is just the pure competition. Um, mm -hmm. Having to find a place, especially if you're under time pressure, um, which makes you feel like you can't find what you want. 
Um, the competition is there. So I, you know, I currently live in the Bay Area and uh, it's, it's really a, a fierce place to try to find a place to live. So I think just the sort of pressure of trying to find something that's satisfying to you. Um, and you get a lot of choices when you are renting a place, just like when you're buying a place. So trying to figure out exactly what it is um, that you want and trying to figure out which choice is best. You know, like I said before, we, we tend to, our, our brains kind of explode once we get past four or five choices. Um, and if you're renting, you know, you go to a rental site and all of a sudden you have a hundred different choices or 200 different choices. Yeah. Um, so it, it's psychologically taxing, and then you add time pressure to that and it can make it a pretty miserable experience. Plus, you know, moving in a big city like San Francisco or New York is uh, never a fun experience. So I'm actually curious about the you talked about the five different personality traits that help figure out mm -hmm. when um, whether you should be renting or buying. Is there like a yeah. quiz someone can take or, or how do you assess <laughs> those facts? Antonia's uh, in the situation no. where she's moving right now. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't really a quiz. A lot of it is about knowing yourself and what's important to you. Um, so it's knowing whether or not. So like the five personality traits, you can you can look up Big Five online and they'll they'll read lots of things to you. But it's knowing whether or not you are an extrovert or an introvert, and that changes the location that you'd like to live in. Because if you're introverted, you know you're going to get overstimulated really easily, and you're going to want to be in a, a neighborhood that's a little bit more quiet and sedate. Um, you know, another one is whether you're agreeable uh, or not so agreeable. Um, and that, you know, has a big implication of whether or not you want to share a, uh, an apartment with someone or not. Because, you know, people who are disagreeable, it's, it's better that they live by themselves. Um, so I think this idea really isn't just about those five personality traits. There's many more personality traits. Those are just the sort of five core ones. Um, and knowing what are the ones that really define the life that you'd like to live. Um, and I don't think we've made a quiz, but that's a good idea. So I'm going to have to talk to talk to the team about that. <laughs> what's one thing that people who are in the process right now of finding a new place to live, what's one thing they can do to make it easier on themselves? Or how can they avoid buyer's or renter's remorse? I guess that's another way to ask this. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things is, you know, years ago, I worked at eHarmony and I used to give the same kind of advice for when you were looking for someone uh, to date and potentially get into a relationship. Think about the two or three things that are really at the core of what you want and keep those things in mind. And I think in housing or renting or relationships, you often find that people are thinking about like, oh, I want all of these things and I want it to be perfect. And there is no perfect in the world. That's incredibly rare and incredibly expensive. So think about the two or three things that are absolutely deal breakers for you and make sure you get those. Hmm. And everything else after that is a bonus. Um, and then also think, you know, inside those, if you're thinking about just renting versus buying, think about where your life is at that point, because buying is a big investment, you know, for it to make financial sense. Often you have to be there for a number of years. So if you're still young and moving around, like buying a place may not make sense at all and may actually limit you because, you know, in the Bay Area, an engineer has a new job every two or three years and may need to move you know, a number of times. So maybe maybe buying doesn't make sense for them uh, until they settle down. But if you are in a stable place with a family and looking to live there for a long time, then buying is an option. So think about the things that are important and think about the context of your life. And that should reduce 
the likelihood that you're really going to regret your choice. Um, and then the other thing is if you're renting or if you're buying, um, it's not all that hard to, to, to change that decision and move on to something else. I, you know, I expected that we would get some good tips on housing and renting versus buying from you, but I did not expect that we would also get some really profound advice about love and life in general. Yeah, I'm rethinking everything right now. <laughs> this is fantastic. Thank you so much, John, for talking with us. Where can we get more info? Yeah, these decisions and a lot of other decisions we've thought about. And if you go to earnest.com backslash decision making, we talk about a lot of the psychological mechanisms and how they affect the major financial choices we're going to have in our lives. Thank you so much for speaking with us, John Gonzaga. This was really fantastic. Thank you guys for having me. Have a great day. Honestly, like he just made me rethink my entire life. It was, it was amazing. Incredible. Uh, so when we come back, we'll get even deeper into the housing world with an expert voice from one of the largest online real estate companies out there, Zillow. Stick around. Welcome back. So we've talked through some of the psychology around housing, but what about the practicality of actually finding a place to rent or buy? To help us out, we're going to talk to Aaron Terraza, senior economist at the online real estate company Zillow. He's going to help us understand the housing landscape in 2017 and give us the inside scoop on what we need to know. Aaron, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So first off, what is Zillow and how is it different from older or more traditional ways of finding housing, both to rent and buy? Certainly. So Zillow is an online marketplace where consumers can go and find information about homes to rent, homes to buy, getting a mortgage. And what really differentiates Zillow from, from other websites is that Zillow's not a real estate brokerage. We, you know, we don't have an interest in selling or selling you a particular house. You know, we don't sell homes. We provide information to consumers. Um, and really, with uh, that's, that's our main objective, providing information to consumers about their options, about what's in the market. Um, about what they can afford. So what are some tips and tricks for young people uh, who want to understand and handle their housing situation and find a great place to live? Yeah, so so if if a young person is out there on the market and is getting ready um, to to make the jump from from renting to buying, uh, we really have three tips. Uh, first, I think it's important to get your finances in order. You know, there's all sorts of mortgage calculators to to know what you can afford to buy. We have several on Zillow. Uh, where you can kind of type in your income, how much you have saved, and, and you can calculate uh, how much, you know, what size house, what price house you can afford to buy. Uh, similarly, in that same vein of getting your finances in order, if you're ready to make that jump, you can do something called getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Uh, again, you can do that on Zillow. It's contacting a lender to essentially see how much they're willing to lend you so that when you do find that house that, you know, you fall in love with, you're ready on the spot to, to, to make a, a competitive offer. And the third, I think, important point in, in getting your finances in order is to, to know your, your credit score and get your credit score in order. The higher credit score you have when you're out there in the housing market, um, the, the more likely a, a lender's gonna be willing to, to, to loan you money. So for people who don't know this world already, what even is a mortgage? Certainly, so a mortgage is uh, essentially the money you're borrowing to buy your house. And, Typically, the way this works is that you put down a certain amount of money, anywhere from 5 to 20% of the total value of the house. So if you think of the average American house as something around $200,000, uh, 
so that's anywhere from from five thousand dollars, excuse me, from from ten thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars. That's cash you need to have in the bank um, to you know essentially pay the day you buy that house, and then they'll loan you the rest of the amount. That that loan, the remaining you know one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty thousand dollars, is is essentially the mortgage, and the mortgage you pay off monthly uh, in monthly installments. The the typical mortgage has a lifespan of, of 30 years. That means you're paying it off over 30 years. Now, it's important to keep in mind that you don't need to commit yourself to this you know, 30 year long commitment. Um, if you're ready to sell the house five, 10 years down the line, you can pay off that mortgage um, when you sell your house. So millennials are getting to the age where there are a higher percentage of home buyers. Is that changing the real estate landscape? Millennials have really come to dominate the housing market over the past couple of years. Our research shows that just this past year, millennials were about 40% of all home buyers in the United States, uh, over 50% of first-time home buyers. This year, we expect that share to be even higher. So, you know, if you think five, 10 years ago, baby boomers and Generation X, you know, people in their 30s and 40s were really dominating the housing market. That that's shifted the past couple of years. Millennials, young adults in their 20s um, and and maybe even early 30s are really driving the American housing market right now. So I'm kind of at this age where I've been renting for a long time and had mm -hmm. never even occurred to me to really think about buying, but it feels like at some point soon, I probably will have to start thinking about that. So how do I know how much house I can afford and how much down payment I'm gonna need? Yeah, uh, it's really a function of uh, your income and how much you have saved and how much you're willing to put toward uh, kind of these regular payments in the future. So for instance, you know, most rule of thumb recommendations are that you don't spend more than a third of your monthly income on your mortgage payment. So, you know, you take someone with a, um, I don't know, a, a 60,000 um, annual a year income, and um, a third of that is, is you know, something like $20,000. So that's uh, something like $1,500 a month. And do you think that when people make the transition from renting to buying, should it be like, I'm going to approximately spend the same amount per month as I did when I was renting? That's or, a good question. Or is it, it more because you're because <laughs> now the money is going towards you in some way? Yeah, it's, it's important to keep in mind that when you're kind of buying a house, you own that house, unlike when you're renting. So you're inv essentially investing uh, in an asset that you're, you're building kind of wealth over time. Uh, now, it, the, the precise share of your income that goes to your rent versus that goes to your mortgage varies from place to place. Um, in, in a very expensive market like, like in New York, um, you know, rents are very high, but so are, are home prices. So the, the math may work out a little bit differently. There's something called um, a rent versus buy calculator that, that we have or a break-even horizon. Um, and that essentially helps you think about um, how long you need to stay in a particular place um, before you know, the, the upfront costs of buying um, exceed the the long-term benefits. And so, mm. you know, when you're buying a house, uh, you know, you have to put up all this money up front. You don't have to do that when you're renting, but you also get the long-term benefits when you're buying a house. You get that asset value appreciation. It's because that it's like investing in, uh, in a stock or a bond. So um, in, in most parts of the country, you typically have to stay in a home three to four years for that math to work out when it makes more sense to, to, to buy versus rent. What is equity? I hear people talk about that with housing. <laughs> what does it mean that my mortgage, does it mean my mortgage payment is going to me? Yeah, exactly. It means you're, you're solely um, 
taking ownership uh, of that house. You know, when you bought the house, as we talked about a little while ago, you put your down payment and you own that five, 20% essentially of the house, however big your down payment was. And as you pay off your mortgage, you're essentially um, owning a little bit more of that house each month. And, and that ownership stake, the, the share of your house that, that you own versus kind of the bank that has loaned you the money, um, that's your equity stake. And, and um, you know, over time, over 30 years, or, or if you pay off your mortgage more quickly over a short amount of time, um, you build your equity stake. Oh my God, I actually, I finally understand how mortgages work. I feel like that was like the moment. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, but how is that different than renting? Is renting just throwing money away? Uh, in, in some respects, it is. You know, you're, you're paying someone else for the right to live in, in their property that they own. And, and so you're not accumulating that ownership stake. You, when you rent a home, you never essentially um, become an owner of that home. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of long-term benefits to to buying, again, if you can um, commit to those regular payments and have the cash on hand to, um, to to buy that initial stake. But sometimes it seems like the world is so crazy right now that I'm like, well, if I don't own this house and I'm just renting it, uh, if a comet comes and strikes the building, it's not my <laughs> building that got burned down. I could just go and rent somewhere else. That that's 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 definitely true. You know, renting does provide a lot more flexibility. And I think it's also important to remember that there are all sorts of other costs when you when you buy a house. You know, you have to pay property taxes. The state, states and cities kind of levy taxes on the value of your home that you have to pay each year. There are utility costs. Often when you're renting, you know, utilities will be wrapped into your monthly rent or maintenance will be wrapped into your monthly rent. Um, things like a, a washer, dryer, or, or dishwasher, um, you don't have to buy those things. When you own a property, you do have to pay for those things. These are hidden costs of owning. Um, and one of our, our, our website, we created a website to help you understand these hidden costs. That's, that's realestate.com, where you can see all of the actual costs of owning a home, things like utilities, um, like internet, like like uh, property taxes. And obviously I'm joking about a comet being a big risk, but like yeah. flood, <laughs> flooding or a fire, I mean, that's know. a big thing where as a renter, you kind of, you have to have renter's insurance, but it ultimately isn't as big a problem for you as if it would be if you owned, right? That, that's correct. When you when you rent, you can always call up someone else and say, "Hey, fix this for me." Um, when you own a home, you are that uh, you are that that the at the receiving end of that call. Cities like Denver are having these huge housing price increases right now. Should people avoid moving to places like that until the booms are over? That, that's a really a, a tricky question because. The reason a place like Denver is experiencing very fast, you know, home value growth and, and rent growth is because Denver has a very strong job market right now. It's creating lots of relatively well-paying jobs. So a lot of people are moving there for these jobs. They have more and more income and, and that contributes uh, to, you know, higher costs. So you have to kind of weigh the, the trade-offs. How much are you going to gain from going to this dynamic, dynamic job market versus how much more are you going to spend in, in housing costs? Um, and, and those are, you know, personal decisions that we all weigh. So it's pretty well understood that part of the economic crisis in 2008 was caused by a bubble in housing prices. Mm -hmm. Could that happen again? And is that happening now anywhere? I think it's important to understand what caused that bubble in housing prices back in 2007, 2008. And I think the general consensus is that those inflated home values were driven by pretty, um, easy lending standards back in 2004, 2008, just before the crisis, it was very easy to get a mortgage. Um, you know, you could have a pretty um, weak credit history and still get a mortgage. You could uh, 
not have to prove your monthly income and still get a mortgage. Nowadays, you know, lawmakers have enacted much stricter controls on, on who can get a, a mortgage. So for instance, you have to show pay statements to, to prove your income. Um, you have to kind of have a verified credit score. So we don't think there are the same kind of um, fast and loose lending standards today that there were 10 years ago. So, so it's a, you know, there's certainly all sorts of problems in the housing market having to do with affordability. We don't think it's um, kind of a bubble like we saw 10 years ago. So you, you see right now the bigger issue being the amount of affordable housing, not so much there being a bubble. It's a kind of a, it's, it's certainly affordable housing, but also inventory. Um, there are relatively few homes on the market today relative to the number of buyers out there. So there's a lot of competition. And so I think, um, you know, not to go too into the weeds and economists speak, but it's a supply side problem, not a not a demand side problem. If people are just starting to think about real estate as part of their lives, what's the most important thing for them to know? Uh, I, I think this, you know, this question about how much you can afford, um, you know, what do your personal finances allow? Uh, what's your credit score? And, and if you're just taking the first initial steps into thinking about, you know, is renting or buying the, the best option for me, kind of think about how much do I spend on my monthly rent if you're currently renting? And if I were to buy, how much would I be spending on my monthly mortgage payment? Once you've kind of done that math, think about how certain am I that I'm going to be in kind of where I live three years down the line. If you think you're going to be in the same place three years down the line, for vast, you know, for the vast majority of markets around the country, it makes sense to buy. Um, if you're not certain where you're going to be in, in three years, you know, renting might be a better option. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, seriously. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys for having me. Okay. I feel like we have learned a huge amount about housing in this episode from two great experts. For sure. And now that we've gotten their advice, it's time to answer housing questions sent in by our listeners. We've got all the answers to help you save money on housing right after this. Stick around. Okay, it's time now for our final segment where we answer questions that listeners have sent in. A lot of listeners wrote in to payoffpod at mike.com with their questions or issues about finding or landing a sweet place to live. But a huge percentage of them were related to one topic, how to pay less for housing. Yeah, it was basically every email, and that's not surprising. While it's generally accepted that Americans should only spend about a quarter of their income on housing, a survey by the U.S. Census Bureau found that almost half of Americans are paying more than 35% on housing. That's a lot of numbers, but it boils down to this. <laughs> too many of us are paying too much for our homes and apartments. So what can people do about that? Lucky for us, Mike's payoff journalists have us covered with a couple of recent articles on simple ways to lower your monthly housing costs. And we're going to give them to you one by one. So first up are some ways to save if you're renting. Number one. Lock in a longer lease, which is something that I feel like I'm always afraid to do. In most cities, rents are still rising, or at least not going down. If you lock yourself into a lease for longer than a year, even if it's just two years, you can look to avoid the usual price hike that would come after your year or six-month lease is up. Yeah, when I moved to New York City, the first lease that I signed was a three-year lease, and we saved hundreds of dollars because... I found a place. I hated moving so much. I was like, I don't want to move again. And by locking it in, I just paid the same rent for three years. I'm going into my fourth year living in New York mm -hmm. and I have lived in four different apartments. Yeah. And it's also expensive to move. Right. So that's the other part about having it's, a long lease. Uh, I hate it. Yeah. A another way that you can save money is you could couch hop until winter. 
So the most popular time to house hunt is spring and summer. Those are notoriously sellers markets. The buyer's market hits in the winter, and according to Rent Hop, rents fall more than 1.5% in December and January. Another thing that I'm doing wrong. Yeah, you're moving right now, but honestly, there's a lot of reasons why people do that. I had accidentally, the last time I moved, I moved in February, and I was shocked at how different the experience was. How so? Like in New York, the first time I moved was in the summer, and when we looked at apartments, people were like, all your papers have to be in order, you have to make an offer as you're in this rental apartment right now, or else it's gonna be gone. Whereas in the winter, they were like, it's probably gonna be vacant for the next two months, so like, take your time, come back and visit again. And honestly, a couple places, they were like, make us an offer, like we're negotiable, which blew my mind. I didn't even realize that was ever a possibility. So. I, I, from now on, if I have any power over it, I'm going to move in the winter. Man, maybe I should tell my cousin that we should reconsider and move it. But then you probably have to sublet or something for the next six months. True. But if you can, you definitely get a better deal in the winter. Okay. Number three, avoid apartment brokers. If you're going to pay more in rent, at least avoid paying an extra month's worth to your broker. Use personal connections and social media to sound out who in your network might know of a housing opening. And be aggressive about it. You might also want to check sites like Naked Apartments that have broker-free listings. Yeah, this can be a lot of money. So it's normally, a broker's fee is normally one month, but honestly, in places like New York, it could be like 10 or 15% of the entire lease, which is insane. The other thing is you can also sometimes combine these three tips, right? Like when I moved, I got a longer lease, but our landlord, it was better for him because he hated trying to find new tenants all the time. So we said, we'll sign a three-year lease if you pay the broker's fee. And he was open to that. Chris, how did you like, I feel like you have like this chip installed in your brain to like make sound decisions. <laughs> no, this was just, I need to move to New York and I don't have enough money to afford this. So let's see if we can convince this person to pay this fee. I like don't have enough money to afford this, but I'm like, you know what? Lavish apartment in the Lower East Side <laughs> where I can eat with like rats every night. Wow, that doesn't sound lavish anymore. Yeah, it's the, the Lower East Side is like the biggest lie that anyone has ever told themselves. Like, I'm going to live in Manhattan amongst the rats. You're like, no. Yeah. And I'm going to pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> anyway, those are all super useful tips that I should follow. Yeah. Um, what about more universal tips for people who might be renting or buying? So Mike had a couple of these, too, that we are going to share with you. One is uh, think about getting a change of scene. So if you want a drastic reduction in the cost of your housing, you could get it by packing your bags and moving to a nearby suburb. The average city dweller in the United States pays more than $9,000 in extra costs on housing and childcare compared with people living in the suburbs. This is an insane suggestion. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of nuts. There's a reason why you live in the city, but if you want to move out, you can save money. I'd rather live with the rats. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's also like you could move to another country where things are cheaper too. Right. The question is just can you get your job and your work to line up? Right, right. Number two. Get other people to help pay the rent or mortgage. No, we're not talking about calling mom and dad and asking them to send your rent check. There are better or at least more quote unquote adult ways to find people to help pay your housing expenses. One of the best options is to get a roommate. In some major cities, renters who split a two bedroom with a roommate save more than 800 a month over those who rent a one bedroom on their own. So that is this is one of those things where I actually am always really surprised that like in a part as soon as you get even in like these high end luxury buildings, if you have a three bedroom apartment split between three people, sometimes it's cheaper than living in like a really bad neighborhood all on your own. Yeah. So you definitely pay a premium to be on your own. That's so true. The flip side is, as anyone who's ever lived with a roommate knows, you have to do some work to find a good roommate. 
finding a good roommate is like this magic sauce that's really hard. It's also, I think, the most stressful thing a group of friends ever has to deal with. Yeah. And also, you know, living with strangers is not always the best either. They can be great. I think the ideal roommate is someone who is clean and respectful, but you don't feel any pressure to hang out with. Yeah. Another way uh, you can save some money in housing is take downsizing to extremes. So look, if these steps aren't enough savings for you, you could abandon the idea of a traditional house altogether by becoming a house sitter and paying nothing at all or becoming the owner of a tiny house. So these options tend to work best for people without kids, families who live together in tiny homes, or if you're a character in a Wes Anderson film. (laughs) But you could make these options work even with dependents. You also could just camp in the park or be a homeless person. I'm not sure this is the best suggestion, but you know, it is a suggestion. And the thing with any suggestions and advice is you just take what works for you. You don't have to use these. In all seriousness though, there are a lot of people who do live in tiny homes and Outside of New York City, mobile homes are actually incredibly common, and there's a huge variety of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like, honestly, most mobile homes I've been to when I've done reporting have been bigger and nicer than the apartments I've lived in in New York. So. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. I think it, the point is with this, with anything, is you can find a way that works for you, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you so much for sending these questions in, and we hope that we helped you save a little bit of money on your housing. And look... As always with money, the best thing is to ask questions. There's no such thing as a dumb question. More questions are always better. So if you have money questions and you want answers, we can help. We're going to keep doing this segment every episode. Next episode will be all about freelancing. And then after that, we'll tackle credit cards. So write to us with your questions or issues at payoffpod at mike.com. Again, that's payoffpod at mike.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Give us the chance to solve your problem or answer your question. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is from Breakmaster Cylinder, and our producer is Alan Haverchak. Thank you, Alan, and thanks everyone for listening. If you want to help the show, you can do that by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review for the payoff. Also, if you have questions related to our upcoming episodes on freelancing or credit cards, don't forget to send them to payoffpod at mike.com. Lastly, you can find out more about us on Twitter at PayoffByMike or online at Mike.com slash payoff. See you next time.